If you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to John uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 16, uh, as we are continuing our series of the Coffee Cup Sermons. Uh, these are texts and passages that we see frequently and often, uh, sometimes on our coffee cups, sometimes on the walls of our houses. Uh, last week was Romans 12, 1 and 2. We call it the virtual coffee cup because it is the most shared, highlighted verse through the uh, Bible app uh, online, uh, worldwide, across the history of that, uh, the app. Um, and so now John 3.16 is, of course, the one you see at the football stadiums and, and people would like to put out. And sometimes you see in license plates and everywhere where it just says 316. And you think, well, what is that? Well, more often than not, it's referring to John 3.16. Um, and so this is a, perhaps a verse you were taught uh, as a child, it's one of the ones that uh, when we have children growing up, we want to make sure they know John 3.16. Uh, perhaps because it summarizes exactly how God wants to work in this world, um, what He thinks about us. Uh, and so it's a, a, a good verse to share with one another. Uh, and I'm reminded uh, this morning even uh, and throughout time that God always wants to intervene in people's lives to show them the hope of what it means to walk with Him. It is amazing what God will do overboard, what we call overboard, to demonstrate to one person or to a group of people how much God loves them. This is perhaps what encountered your life when you came to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, this kind of an overwhelming sense that God knows who you are, He is aware of you, He is aware of your sin, but He loves you, and he longs for something else in your life. And that's himself working in you. This morning I, I share a little story of, of one of our uh, attenders that's been coming. And uh, last Sunday uh, they had sent a, an email back to me from um, the, the sermon I was preaching, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, and just said, you know, I, I'm kind of taking things to, to heart what you're saying. And I'm thinking through it. And uh, as I was driving home, uh, my truck uh, that I drive, the check engine light came on. Uh, and so I kind of started thinking through what you said and, and remembered, okay, well, God, uh, something's wrong with your truck. Um, and just <laughs> that's a great way to view of it, isn't it? Uh, when you've got problems in your life, things aren't working quite as they ought to be. It's like, God, you know, something's wrong with your house here. Something's wrong with, uh, with your car. Uh, you know, what, what do I do with this? And, I, and, and just learn to thank God in that uh, and just say, okay, God, we'll see what you do. Uh, then he shared with me, uh, a couple of days later, sent another email and said, you know, uh, uh, it's a crazy thing that that check engine light came off just for no reason, just, just stopped being uh, being shown. And I just thanked God and said, God, that's an amazing thing of how you are working in ways I get and understand. He shared the story with someone else who, who, who in turn, their check engine light, light came on in their car. I don't know what's happened there. Uh, so be careful what stories you tell. Uh, sometimes can be contagious. Uh, but he came in this morning, and I shared with him, and he talked with me, and he said, yeah, let me just share with you what, what's happened. Um, he said, I believed in that moment, um, and, and they would never would necessarily identify themselves as a follower of Jesus uh, until this, this past week. And uh, he said, I, I believe in that moment when I saw all these things that was happening, that God saved me, that, that I uh, believed. And, and following him. He said, hey, what's happened this week is uh, later, uh, a young guy ran into the back of that truck. Um, 
you know, just damaged it. No one was hurt. Of course, the young guy was rattled, and he had to get to work, and I uh, got a call from his boss, who is his granddad, and uh, granddad wanted to talk to him, and said, you know, just shared, wanted to, to settle things with the car, and as opposed to involving insurance and everything, and uh, he said, well, just, you know, let me know what you, what you come up with, and he uh, took the, the car to get uh, looked at, and it was about $1,200 and of damage, which the truck is, is just not that um, valuable uh, to do all that, and uh, he said, you know, I tell you what, called the, the grandfather up, he said, here's what I want you to do, instead of you just paying me, I want you to just, uh, let's settle it this way, you pay the money that you pay me and, and give it to the church, um, and so that's what happened. Uh, the money that was given was was given to the church. And here's what's notable about that. Several things. But what's notable about that, he said, you know, when I had that idea, I never would have done anything like that before. It is evidence to me that God has changed my life. Because I don't think things like that. And, you know, that's what happens. And I, I look at this story, and I, I read John 3.16. And let's know, if God's going to send His Son to bring us hope of life and to take care of the penalty of our sins, how much more will God intervene in ways we get, in ways we understand that God knows us, He loves us, wants to speak in ways that, uh, you know, some people need visions and dreams, and some people need just a verse. In whatever ways, whether it's a, a car or, or finances, to let you know God loves you. And He does. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That every single one of us has been born. There is a desire on God's end. To show himself as Lord and King in your life. And so, I tell this story to go back to John 3.16. And it always goes back. And sometimes you read John 3.16. I know that verse. I've got it. I've got it memorized. But do you have it? And does it have you? Is there a belief? A fundamental core thought, belief in your heart that anchors who you are? I am loved by God. The temptation is that when bad things come our way, then that thought gets jettisoned because we say, well, God must hate me because he's allowed these things to happen in my life. And I want to share with you John 3, 16, because the the fact of the matter is, is God's saying, look, if you want to know what I think about you, don't think about the latest cancer that's come in to you or your loved one. Don't think about the car accidents. Don't think about the tragedy that happens million times a day. But think about this one tragedy that I have chosen in which I've demonstrated love to you. That is God's message for all time, for all people, what he thinks about you. So with that thought in mind, let's read John 3.16. I know there's, this is a verse that's part of a larger context. In fact, I preached on it earlier this year. But this morning, we're just going to focus on verse 16. So if you'll stand as we read this together in honor of God's word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. You may be seated. So when I've preached on the larger portion of this, I um, kind of alluded to the fact that this verse can be broken down word by word, phrase by phrase, and kind of ran through it real quick when I preached on it. What I'd like to do is take that now and make that the bulk of what we're going to talk about. So we're going to take this verse phrase by phrase, uh, look at, uh, well, one of the greatest things that can happen in your life is the truth of John 3.16, the greatest thing that can happen in your life. And so you start off with verse 16 with the word for, uh, which means that what verse 16 is an explanation. When you see that word for, he's explaining what went before that with this verse. So what before that was verse 14, 15, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He says that's kind of an amazing statement if you think about it. Let me explain that, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For, and this is the greatest explanation that you'll ever hear, uh, is the word for. So for God, for God. He starts right there, and what I would just present to you is that John 3.16 is saying this is the greatest lover that you could ever experience or know. What God is about to do. Uh, you know, some of you are uh, familiar with this uh, line, and I'll just read it to you, and it'll come right to you. When a man loves a woman, you have a, a tune flowing in your head, uh, Percy Sledge can't keep his mind on nothing else he'd change the world for the good thing he's found if she is bad he can't see it she can do no wrong turn his back on his best friend if he put her down when a man loves a woman he'll spend his very last dime trying to hold on to what he needs he'd give up all his comforts and sleep out on the rain if she said that's the way it ought to be well this man loves you woman I gave you everything I have, trying to hold on to your heartless love. Baby, please don't treat me bad. And I can't just do that line justice, can I? When a man loves a woman down deep in his soul, she can bring him such misery. If she's playing him for a fool, he's the last one to know. Love and eyes can never see. When a man loves a woman, he can do her no wrong. He can never want some other girl. Yes, when a man loves a woman, I know exactly how it feels, because baby, baby, you're my world, when a man loves a woman. And that's a great quintessential song line uh, that we think back, and it just brings a smile on many people's face, um, especially the women. Uh, but it's this idea that when a man loves a woman, that man's life is wrecked for the good of someone else. His, his life is turned upside down so to speak but you know that love of a man is only as good as the man there's some men women you should not want their love because their love is a cruel thing a barely love at all because they cannot get over loving themselves and that you just play a part in loving him so the love of a man is only as good as the man of knowing how to put someone above themselves. But yet, the love of a man and the love of a woman has inspired thousands and thousands of songs across the generations. 
We love to sing about the love of a man and a woman. Uh, Song of Solomon uh, talked about that and talked about how can we understand the way of a man with a young maiden. Uh, it's some things you can't fathom, you can't get. And so we sing about these things. But you need to understand that all these things are really pointers to the love that we feel deep down in our soul, that we long for and we crave for, and is not the love of a man nor the love of a woman that really satisfies. It is, in fact, the love of a man, our love of a being who knows us intimately, knows the good and the bad, the things that we're ashamed of, knows our future and our past, knows our pedigree, and yet is ultimately selfish in meeting every need of our heart to give us identity. Give us worth and value. I've shared with you before we talked about some this past Wednesday night that identity is ultimately found in that you relate to someone else. If you think about it, every identity is someone likes to say, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a, a child, I'm a brother, I'm a, I'm a worker of some degree, I, I do sports and something. I, I've got all these identities that we have. Think about what do you say when you try to describe who you are? And you're hard-pressed to find one label that has nothing to do with someone else. All the labels that we have relate to someone else. They're there because other people are around us. God made us in this way, in this community, but he's made us not so that we are our ultimate identity is found in relating to one another, but relating to him. That's why we, we have the, uh, that movie Castaway with, with Tom Hanks, you know, and he's stuck in an island somewhere. He's got to find someone to relate with, and so he gets a ball. Wilson, you know, and his existence rises and falls with whether or not Wilson's there or not. His life goes in shambles when Wilson drifts away. Even You can't even trust in a ball, you know. And, and so what this is, is pointing to is this, our need to relate to someone. And so when he says God is the one that is the author of this love, is telling us there is a huge meant, uh, expression of hope that can be understood and known that will last you your eternity. And we're going to flesh that out as we keep on going. So God, he is the greatest lover. For God so loved, which is the greatest degree. The word so is to, to express. This is the degree of his love toward us. So some of us might say, I will love you so much that I might share my M&Ms. Now, if you know me, you know that's a, that's a sacrifice on my end. My, my, I was like, oh, okay, fine, get two, you know. Uh, <laughs> so you might say, well, that degree of love is not much, is it? Well, what you have here is he's about to say what he's going to sacrifice. The degree of the love of God. God so loved the world. The world is the greatest number. To understand that if you are born, if you're living, if, if you have been conceived together, that you now are an object of God's love. And the fact that you spring forth from who God is, His being. That we are made in His image with a capacity to know Him. And so all that you need is, is just uh, a conception to happen. Whether or not that conception sees the light of day, they are loved by God. 
or whether or not that, that life lived to 80 and 90, or what degree of, of quality of life, morality of life, it does not matter. There is no qualification on this. It says simply, God has demonstrated something. He's given a love to the world, the greatest number that he gave, which is the greatest act. Women, when you want to know if a man loves you, look at what they're giving. Look at what they're giving. How has their life changed for you? What sacrifices are being done? If they're the ones asking you to give all the time, then you could question legitimately that love. And so there is this act that he gave. But we quickly go from the greatest act of giving to the greatest gift. The only begotten Son. Because you've got to ask yourself, what can God give that He'll actually miss? You know, give you a cow. Well, well you know, no big deal. You just create another cow. You give you land. Well, that's no big thing for God. He'll just create another planet. Give you time. He's eternal. What could God give that would actually be a sacrifice on his part? Everything that we know to give is really no sacrifice on God. And so when we give things to God, I give him my time, I give him my possessions. It's not that because God needs those things. He's got plenty of those things. He's looking for something else that those gifts are a measure of, and that's your heart. What does God give that he'd actually miss his only begotten or unique son it is the one thing that he doesn't have others of the unique son that god the father god the son that have existed in community for eternity there was never a second when the father was there and the son was not it has always been god is Three in one, a communal God, whereby we are made communal beings, made in His image. And so from the Father and Son has been such a fellowship, such a a vibrancy of relationship with one another, that from that relationship springs forth the Holy Spirit that is such a powerful uh, uh, fellowship uh, that it is Himself a being that proceeds out of the Father and the Son and brings us in by giving us the Holy Spirit. And so there is this uh, greatest gift to say, what could I give this world that could demonstrate the love? His only begotten Son. That whosoever. This is your greatest invitation. The greatest invitation to the greatest gift by the greatest act, by the greatest lover. Whosoever. Anyone that is in this world it doesn't really matter what color skin you are. It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious. Remember at the time, John 3, 16, uh, this passage is taking place as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who has made a big deal about being morally right and religiously right. But he is saying to them, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one bit. What matters is what you do with this invitation. Whosoever, whether you are a hypocrite or religiously trying to be devout, or whether you could care one bit about what is good and right, there is this invitation that God is giving. That means you. 
That means you. It doesn't matter who you are. To whosoever believeth. And this is the greatest simplicity. In fact, this is perhaps maybe the point of John 3.16. Remember, he's explaining something. He's explaining how anybody, if they believe, will have eternal life. And so he's elaborating. Well, just know this. For God so loved the world that, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes. Well, the greatest thing about this is that anyone can do it. You know, you don't have to be a genius to believe. And you don't have to be dumb to believe. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. It is something anyone can do. Simply trusting in what God has done. And so this is the greatest simplicity. Uh, Believes in what? Believes in Him. Believes in Him. The greatest person. That being Jesus Christ. He's the only one that has come in and said to this world, I am not just pointing to the way. I am the way. I'm not just pointing to the truth like Muhammad said. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no one that has come into this world that has uh, any way of comparison to the beauty, the morality, the purity of Jesus Christ, God in flesh. And so the belief is not just believing in the code of conduct. We're not just believing in the Baptist way. We're not just believing in in some church's way. We're not believing in the Bible uh, uh, specifically, but we're believing in Jesus Christ, whom we know through the Bible. It's relationship. That's why the most fundamental part of being a church and a member of this church is that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That there is a living, growing relationship that you have. I've been reading through Ephesians this past week, and it's amazing to me as I'm thinking again, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3, what God has done when he created the church. Did you know that uh, this is a unique thing, what we've got right here? The local expression is an amazing thing when you read Ephesians 2 and 3, that it is his temple right here. And that what brings us together is the spirit of Jesus Christ in us and us in him. And so we are being built up in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and then later in verse 14, he says, I'm praying for this thing, that you will be built up in your inner men through Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that this church could have is our man, our woman, that is so abiding in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is abiding in them. That is the greatest gift that this church could have. And it doesn't matter what role you play, as far as a pastor or servant in various forms, but what, this, what makes this church a church is when you say to God, I want your Holy Spirit to have all of me. I want Jesus to reign in my desires. I surrender, I confess, I repent, I surrender and I ask for Jesus Christ to cross every will I've got. I want the Holy Spirit. When a human does that, that makes a church a church. And if you have a collection of people together with the Spirit of Christ in them, that is a marvelous, wondrous thing and is a gift to the country itself, the society. So yeah, vote. But you know what the most important thing you could do? Let the Holy Spirit fill your heart. Then vote and do everything else that's required of you that day. That's what this society needs. And so we're believing in him. 
in Jesus Christ who wants to move and direct through us. Now, let's keep on reading. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. This is the greatest deliverance. The greatest deliverance. I remember so many times in, in school and then later in seminary, um, every once in a while there'd be some test that was horrendous. Just all of us wonder, where did that come from? And yet we do it and think, well, let's see what happens here. And the, and the professor would come back or the teacher would come back and said, they were always in a foul mood at this point. They said, I'm just disgusted with all the test. Just you can tell their mood was impacted. I mean, they were down. And they would say something like, not one of you did a good job. <laughs> we're all like, heads are down. And then they would just rant for a little while, figuring out what happened. And say, not one of you deserves a passing grade on this. But. They would use that word, but. And there's a little bit of hope. Oh my goodness, what was going to... And usually it was some self-reflecting thing. It must be because I hadn't taught you well. And so I'm going to give you a second chance. There's so much relief when I heard that word, but. You fell, but. Here's hope still. And that was just a great thing. That was just something I could relate with as being something that was horrifying to me. Here in eternity, God is saying, every one of your hearts are wicked and corrupt and selfish to the core. Not one of you passes. But, but what? This great deliverance should not perish but have everlasting life. Should not perish. This is the greatest deliverance. To perish, to destroy fully. To say that this is a, a reference to punishment of hell. And later you see in verse 17, 18, 19, that he's talking about being condemned by God. To be perished is to be condemned by God. For God to say to you, your wicked is, uh, your heart is ultimately wicked. Is selfish to the core. That is a condemnation. There is a punishment, a punishment, a perishing that's going to happen. And this is to say that Jesus believes there is a hell. And it is to be avoided at all cost. And some people say, well, you know what? Is it, is it the fire and brimstones, the, the worms that eat you, you never die and sleep type thing? It's like, well, you know, the Bible talks about it, uses those words. Well, they must be symbolic. Okay. Let's say they're symbolic. What are they symbolic of? <laughs> I assure you, nothing good. It is to point to you that bad things happen here. It is an existence that is miserable for eternity. Some people, and I can understand, have a hard time with thinking about this. But listen, if you don't have hell, then what does this love turn into? If, if God is not delivering you from something then this is not love. This is a sentimentality. What makes the love of God the love of God is this realization that there is hell. That there is an eternal punishment for hearts that reject God. If you don't have that, you cannot say that God loves you. He's just really sentimental. 
good wishes, sending good vibes. Never quite figured out what that is when people say, give me good vibes. I mean, I'm supposed to vibrate or something. I'm not sure what that means, but it is, is, is vague. But John 3.16 becomes nothing more than just sending good vibes your way. If there isn't a concept of hell. And if there isn't a concept of hell, then there really is not a concept of justice. We can't say that there's such a thing as justice. And we might as well say there's no such thing as corruption if there is no justice. There, it is fundamental to this definition of justice that there is a punishment. And a lot of times we think about it and we'll say, well, you know what, I don't think hell is for most people, but maybe for some people. Well, if it's hell for some people, then what's the qualifications for those some people to get there? We don't like to think about things like that. That's, that's too exact for us because it might mean that we have to judge ourselves or someone else. And we don't want to judge someone else. We sure don't want to judge ourselves. But there is a judgment. It's what makes John 3.16 precious. The greatest deliverance should not perish, but have. This is the greatest certainty. This is a present tense terminology. It says, look, you can have something. You don't have to wonder about something. It is, it is there for you if you will trust in it, believe in it, and let it have its effect in your life. Have what? Have everlasting life. This is the greatest possession. The greatest possession. What is everlasting life? It's, it's more than simply being alive. But life as a principle in an absolute sense. Uh, John 17, 3, Jesus described it, that this is eternal life, that you know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. You remember what I got back to from the beginning where it says, what is our ultimate morality? Is that you're in a relationship with somebody? And Jesus says, you really want to find yourself? You talk about that, you know, you want to go find yourself, so you go to the Himalayas. <laughs> you know, let's go to India, let's go to Nepal. I'm sure there's a lot of people that haven't found themselves there. Um, scripture says you want to find yourself you find your life you got to put your life on the cross you got to deny yourself in other words if you want to find your life it's not about selling yourself first but to surrender it to God and that you have a relationship finding your life is found relating to God some of you feel like you really know love because you relate to a spouse or or child. We talk about it. You, you know, when the child comes in, you think, I didn't know. I, I, I remember uh, when my children were born, I, I didn't know a love like that. It was, it was a new thing. Uh, and then each time, you think, you know what, that one time, I wonder if I've got enough love for another one. <laughs> well, you know, another child's born. Whoa, how did that happen? Uh, and, and then the boys came. And it was really weird because I never loved a guy like that. He's like, this is strange. But I love this little dude, this little guy. And, 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 and so as relationships are birthed, new love is born. Isn't that something? It's born in relationship. So what happens when you're born to God? There is a love that expands your heart, that comes from God the Father. And so I love, what I love about this relationship is that this relationship that you have between God the Father and God the Son, the Holy Spirit, with you, doesn't die when your heart dies. Every relationship that we know, uh, we, we have a death to, to some degree when our heart stops beating. It changes. It changes. 
But our relationship to, to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when my heart starts to fade and my breathing is gone and my mind is losing it and I can't see anymore and I can't speak anymore, there's still perhaps maybe a thought in my heart, I belong to God. And Jesus belongs to me. And no death, no cancer, no poverty, no disability, no loss of loved ones, nothing can separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, when you go through your life, you might have cancer, which by the way, we'll, in a couple of weeks we want to have a, a, cancel, uh, a, a Cancer Awareness Sunday to have a, a special time together with those who have endured our loved ones who have dirt. So if I have cancer, but in it I get a relationship with Jesus Christ, cancer becomes the means to life. If I have lost a loved one, but it brings me Jesus Christ and closer to Him, my life gets better in that the greatest thing I could have is Jesus Christ. When we are dealing with the heartache and wrecked life of seeing loved ones go, you see how hard it is. But in it, it can bring you Jesus Christ. Then that's still a good deal. You may lose your ability to walk or to see or to hear but you have not lost your ability to relate to Jesus Christ. When a God loves a human, we can't keep our mind on nothing else. God changed the world for the good thing He's found. If we're bad, God doesn't see it. We're not counted as wrong. When a God loves a human, he'll spend his very last dime to hold on to us. He'd give up his comforts, sleep out in the rain, to make sure it's the way it ought to be. Praise God, we walk out of here not singing about a man loving a woman. We walk out of here singing about a God Loving a human. And every week we get the same opportunity to get with others who've been touched by this love and proclaim his name. Let's pray.